Hey, what's going on? Thanks for checking out the PBE podcast. Uh, we just want you to let, let you know that uh, September 29th, PBE Live, it's a free event. Definitely check it out. We're talking unconventional economics with David Ramsden Wood. We are doing Mars Geology from Magma Kim Research Institute. You have never heard anything like this. It is incredible what we're learning from Mars, and it's happening live in PBE podcast. And then me and Skips are going to end it with uh, with some classic exploration geology of the Permian Basin with a with a new geolo- an unfamiliar geologic model making predictions of where to go in the unconventional plays in the Permian Basin based on some really cool unique approaches to the basin. So we're going to have a lot of fun September 29th. Join the show. It's completely free. Look for the link on social media. Thanks. Well, right on. That's a good segue into the drill down segment <laughs> of our show as we, we drill down into how you look at and calculate and specifically find anomalies in reservoir and completion technology that helps with decline curve analysis and more importantly, the predictability, which is what we got to do. Right. That's that's where we're headed. So um I'll open the book of resource analytics, cool ideas to the reservoir and completion section. So too many words on this slide, but this is just the launching point where basically you're saying, look, people have been doing EUR from decline curve and then trying to correlate it to um, completion parameters. So here's on the left side, it's just a lateral length versus uh, six months MBO. And on the right side, prop and volume versus six months MBO. And what, what does uh, MBO stand for? Thousand barrels of oil. So oh, okay. the, the value on here, you know, 150 is 150,000 barrels. Perfect. So you can see that these are clouds of data. There's no trend here. And the people who did the work, I'm (laughs) I'm letting them remain anomalous, uh, anonymous. Um, uh, But they didn't bother to put a regression line or a correlation because what's their R square going to be like 0.25 on uh, lateral length and maybe 0.45 on that uh, prop and volume. So the problem in my mind is not having reservoir. So we need a method that basically is equally fast, equally uh, high velocity and equally high volume as a big data approach so that we can add reservoir in because you can't scrape reservoir data. You can get the digital logs, but you have to analyze them. So that's mm-hmm. what we're going to do. Uh, this is, slide also has a lot, but it, it's it's necessary. Um, this is what I call auditor volumetrics. And so auditor volumetrics is just the standard way that people do that a volumetric analysis. So it's the constant times effective porosity times hydrocarbon saturation times thickness times area times recovery factor divided by the formation volume factor. Mm-hmm. Well, over here on the right, so so this is your bulk volume hydrocarbon, effective porosity times hydrocarbon saturation times thickness. Right. That's your bulk volume hydrocarbon. But over here are two unknowns. So we have one equation with two unknowns. Well, we should all immediately think that's a problem. (laughs) So yeah, (laughs) yeah, that is a problem. So no wonder there's a parent-child issue in development scenarios because you have area times recovery factor. Come on, Mm -hmm. people. So and what those two I've, variables are constantly changing with every well you put in. The oh, ground. what do you want it to be? Yeah. What do yeah, you what, want or, it to or, be? Yeah, or depending on who you're talking to, hey, uh, what do I need this to be to keep my job or to sell right. this? Right. <laughs> or uh, it's like, oh, well, we accidentally um, fracked into this. So our area is bigger than we thought. Oh, well, that's because our recovery factor must have been too high. So we calculated too small an area. It's like, why do people let this go on? I don't know. So what I've done with my analysis is basically take this tyrannical recovery factor and break (laughs) it down into three components that function at different scales in the reservoir uh, or in the reservoir completion um, scenario. So um, the smallest scale is in the pore volume efficiency. And basically, 
the higher the connectivity of the reservoir, the lower the residual oil saturation. So if we know how much of this hydrocarbon saturation never gets delivered to the well bore and remains in the reservoir as a residual oil saturation, we've taken out one piece of this recovery factor. So we can continue to do that. So in thickness, we can use a vertical efficiency factor. So what controls how much of the frac height is actually being stimulated? In my view, it's shale volume or clay volume. So you have a calculation that's gonna allow you to reduce the nominal frac height to an effective frac height based on uh, high shale portions of the reservoir in that vertical section that get fractured, but the propent gets embedded. So there's no delivery from that portion of the reservoir. So those two factors, the efficiency factor for pore volume and vertical efficiency function in the reservoir. And then there is an aerial efficiency factor. Now that I have taken out thickness from my volumetrics, I don't have to talk about stimulated reservoir volume that people are always talking about. I can talk about stimulated reservoir area only, which gives me a simplification that's really important. And I'll describe that when we get to it. So, Just real quick. You're... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I got too many words here. But... <laughs> the <laughs> assumption being made at this point is the classic biween fracks at the perfs. Yes, in okay. my mind. Right. And so that's where this aerial efficiency is going to come in, is that that bi-wing frack, penny frack, what geometry does it have? Because at the well bore, it's going to have an efficiency of, let's just say, one. That's the most efficient you're going to stimulate the reservoir. And as far out as it goes, when you get to the limit, it has an efficiency of zero, right? Right. So mm -hmm. across that length, which is actually the width of the stimulated reservoir area, across that dimension anyway, that efficiency factor is diminishing according to some function. And you can draw that function in many ways. And yeah. I've drawn it in a lot of ways, just as experiments. I mean, that's what I do. That's I experiment cool. on data. Well, I think just yes. to, sorry to interrupt again, but no, just to ahead. throw one thing out there, I think this whole bi-wing fracture uh, geometry of how this is happening, I think that's that's kind of not where the industry's going particularly. They know that there's just some crazy pattern that's being made and uh, and now they're just kind of messing. They're, they're leaving that parameter maybe simplified, but they know that it's a major influencer on the... <laughs> To model it in my mind, it takes a picture of a, a of a bi-wing frack, you know, just a cross-section of the bi-wing wing frack. It doesn't matter if that's the actual geometry of the fracture, because what you're talking about is how effective is the stimulation as it moves from proximity to the well bore to its yeah. limit. Mm -hmm. So I don't really care okay. what that shape looks like. All right. Yeah. That just, just determining that rate of efficiency as it like degradates Diminish. as you get yeah as you get further and further away that's yeah that i i like that i like the way you're looking at that it doesn't really matter what the heck it looks like but let's figure out how efficient are we just efficient close to the wellbore near wellbore or are we actually getting any kind of deliverables far away right and so if you draw all these models that i've done and you stack them all up and say cuz i don't know which one is right yeah. <laughs> in the end it's going to be of that whole uh, frac area, basically, it's a you're going to stimulate 50% of the rock volume. That's my that's my hypothesis at this point, and I'll show you that at the very end if we have time. Okay. So, if, all right. All right. So we can move on. So, I showed you the um, uh, auditor econ, uh, auditor uh, volumetrics because uh, my volumetrics are completely different. So basically, to do that high volume, high velocity. Uh, analysis of the reservoir, you have to you have to streamline it. And remember, I said right at the start, this is a big data approach for basin scale evaluation or assessment of a unconventional reservoir. So I'm willing 
to not do a lot of the things that a petrophysicist is going to slap me and say, you didn't do a multi-mineral. You don't know this. You don't know that. It's like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I don't know that. But by the time you figured that out, I'm already going to own that property and I'll be happy to sell it to you. So that's, <laughs> that's what this is all about. All right. So here's my, what I call frackable reservoir volume I guess I apologize right at the beginning here. I'm not a stickler for the terminology. Um, I'll say frackable reservoir volume. I might say frackable hydrocarbon pore volume. I might say frackable bulk volume hydrocarbon. They're all the same to me. Okay. But basically we're gonna look first at the reservoir, which is sort of three circles in this uh, Venn diagram on the left side here. And the reservoir is gonna include Hydrocarbon saturation, which is based on a resistivity anomaly. Effective porosity, which is based on a porosity anomaly. And then we're going to use a metadata analysis of effective porosity versus hydrocarbon saturation to look at pore structure. And that pore structure I just call reservoir quality, RQ, um, whatever. But that is that efficiency factor for the pore volume. So I'm taking care of residual hydrocarbon saturation by looking at pore structure or pore connectivity. And in my terminology, that defines the deliverable hydrocarbon pore volume. Hmm. Now we still have to add this thickness side, which is basically the target thickness, because when I do my analysis, I look at every stratigraphic target individually, then the engineer can tell me how many of these targets I think we're fracking into, and then we can make our calculation based on the stratigraphy. So you start with the target thickness, then you're looking at the V-shale uh, profile through that target thickness, and we're going to um, uh, bring that target thickness down based on the uh, efficiency factor for thickness calculated from our V-shale. So it's a simple five pieces to this streamline reservoir model to get a frackable bulk volume hydrocarbon. So the effective porosity from the anomaly, the uh, reservoir quality from the metadata, the hydrocarbon saturation from the uh, anomaly, resistivity anomaly, that's that deliverable pore volume. And then the frackable height is that second component thickness times F2. Again, it's just a, it's just a function that is used to calculate uh, clay. So following, you got that? Yep. I'm so following. In the end, you need to look at both of these separately because you don't want a big pile of frackable thickness that's a really low deliverable hydrocarbon pore volume. So even though I multiply all these together, I always make the point that you need to see these two separately when you're making your maps. But the intersection of these is gonna be the matrix sweet spot. And we're talking about reservoir matrix here. We're not talking about pressure. We're not talking about right. uh, fluid uh, uh, phase differences, anything like that. Typically I'm looking at oil. Yeah, I like the simplicity of the approach, yeah. for sure. Let's call it uh, streamlined. Because <laughs> you, you say simple, people say, well, this is a complex reservoir. Ah, it only is if you want to look at it that way. Right. So let's streamline it. So mm -hmm. here um, are just two examples just of trying to think back to that uh, Broncos uh, cross plot. So here are some baseline calculations done by the resource analytics software. And what we basically do is build location-specific indexed models at each well. So that means that um, the model is, well, it's pretty obvious, I guess. The model is specific to the location at that well, but they're indexed so they can be compared across the entire basin. So here's two examples from Colorado Cretaceous Reservoir. And across the top, you know, just horizontally, we're looking at the uh, porosity anomaly for effective porosity on the left. And then I do two plots for the hydrocarbon saturation. So um, I'll just describe them as best I can going across. So 
The independent variable is for effective porosity, as, as we already said, is shale volume. And that's an indexed volume. So I'm not trying to calculate a real number. I'm just making a relative indexed volume for a shale. And then against that, I'm going to plot this total neutron density porosity that has been shifted so that the baseline prediction always runs through the origin. That's how we index the model so every well can be compared to the next well. I'm not normalizing the data because if you say normalization to people <laughs> in the geology world, their yeah. heads may explode because and, and I, I don't disagree because if yeah. you normalize out actual geologic variability, right. you're making a pretty serious mistake, aren't you? Yeah. So this indexing is different than normalizing, but it still allows you to compare every well to the next well, because all we're looking at is the anomaly off the baseline, right? So here's your, essentially, this is the predicted trend. If all the porosity that's being seen by the neutron density logs is created by shale volume, everything else has some increasing probability that you have true effective porosity as you move away from the baseline. And the calculation for effective porosity is just this distance. How far off the baseline are you? So it's kind of cool to be able to say, okay, same place, same basin. Here are two wells that are not too far away. And you can see I've indexed them properly, but the slope of these two lines is completely different. Yeah. And so our analysis is getting a location-specific model because we're just looking at the data from that single well. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> one of the no, no dead air here. So one of the beauties of this analysis that I hope I didn't already say this is that because it's not a black box. It's like if I'm looking at this with my boss, my manager. And we agree that this baseline looks like it's in a good place. You can't disagree with any of the interpretation that follows from it. Right. You have to accept that the maps that are made from that are meaningful because yeah. you agree that this analysis made sense. So the indexing of the porosity log is more about creating a shape relative to the baseline is that kind of the basis? No, these, okay. the blue data are just the V-shale index versus total porosity. And the algorithm has found this baseline in the bottom okay. of the data. All right. So, so it just finds it. V so that's just a straight. Mm -hmm. yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. V-shale and porosity definitely has a general relationship like this across this area. Yes. Got it. Baseline is established based on that cluster analysis. Okay. Yep, just based on that set of data. So, I mean, that's a proprietary analysis that our software does that we basically invented so that um, you can draw these baselines. You know, there's a lot more to it that we're not discussing, but we don't want to be here two hours, right? So, yeah. uh, and then over here, we're looking, you know, we know that resistivity can be affected by porosity and by shale content. So, we're going to do the same type of analysis on these two parameters. We're going to look at how does, what's a baseline look like with V shale, which is this one versus resistivity. And we're going to look at, so V shale on the X axis and resistivity on the Y axis. And we're going to look at what does an anomaly characteristic look like if we do uh, porosity and we use this, this shifted porosity because that's the indexed porosity value. We use the indexed porosity value here against resistivity. Basically, this one is just a picket plot, except for mm -hmm. it's better than a picket plot because for whatever reason, uh, picket put the dependent variable on the x-axis and the independent variable on the y-axis, which, you know, confuses me when I look at it. So I'm just going to do it in a way that makes sense um, from a data analysis standpoint. So um, basically you can see, again, 
these plots are from wells that are right next to each other. We're getting good baselines drawn in each one of these cross plots, but the baseline slope in each one is different. Mm -hmm. So the model we're building is indexed among the wells, but it's specific to the data set that's in that unique well. Okay. So that's how we build build the anomaly. So those are the data that go into our process. I'm not going to explain the reservoir quality to you because it's, uh, you know, I will be here all day and I'd love to do it, but you wouldn't. So let's, um, basically, I'll just say it without a slide is basically if you cross plot, then effective porosity against hydrocarbon saturation. And you mm -hmm. take a window in the data and you look at the slope of that cross plot. If you're increasing porosity and the hydrocarbon saturation is staying the same at irreducible water saturation, that's telling you that you're adding pores of the same size because at irreducible water saturation, the water volume or water saturation is related only to the surface area of the pores. So if I don't increase the saturation, then the pores have to be the same size. Mm -hmm. If I get a positive slope, that's telling me that I'm adding bigger pores because I have more pore volume with less surface area. More uh, larger pores mean higher connectivity. And then the opposite would be true if I increase porosity, but I get a negative slope means I'm adding more surface area as I increase porosity, which means I have to be adding smaller pores, lower smaller RQ, pores, smaller pores, lower RQ. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because they're not as well connected. That's they're right. Not be as well connected. That's right. We and it's amazing. If you, if you map this in the DJ basin, you get a band of this positive correlation and up dip is uh, negative slopes, down dip is negative slopes. The up dip that are negative slopes are because the charge is low. So you can get negative slope if you fill your pores with water, it's no longer an irreducible water saturation. So you get negative slopes on that side, but if you go down dip in the basin, anytime you add pore space, you're adding small pores and they don't have connectivity. So you can find the fairway basically just by mapping RQ. The porosity really fairway. A porosity, fa uh, uh, a deliverable porosity fairway. Okay. Yeah, yes. Fair enough. So, that takes care of the reservoir. So now we're going to talk about completions. So that moves us into a different topic here. Um, basically, the idea that I use is this concept of completion efficiency. So I'm going to take the scraped completion parameters and I'm going to look at them as a sort of dimensionless effect efficiency number so for any uh completion i'm going to plot the lateral length versus the propent volume per foot now you could choose other parameters i've used these i think they're reasonably successful in doing what i want them to do um and basically oh. the, the idea have you, have you used just uh fluid volume opposed to solely propent volume no, and fluid volume is important, but the reason I use the probant volume is because you can put all the fluid you want in it. If you don't have probant in it, I don't see that working. Mm -hmm. Now, I do think that you need the right relationship between fluid volume and propant volume so that you actually take the propant you have and get it out into the stimulation. So. I can show you a place where you would apply the fluid volume once you've done this analysis first um, would be my suggestion. I, and I don't mean to shut you down or cut you off because I know a lot of people like fluid volume right. instead of prop and volume. Yeah. No, that's why, that's, why, that's why I bring it up because I've, it, and this isn't from my own personal experience, but this is from engineers that I've talked to. And they say we see a stronger correlation with our fluid volume actually opposed to, you know, our profit volume. But yeah, I just wanted to bring that up and see. I, I think that's a legitimate um, concern. I, I don't do it just for the reason I said, 
I, yeah. I think you could put fluid in there without any propane and you're not going to do anything. You could probably put propane in there with too little fluid and at least you'll get some type of um, transmissibility in yeah. your fracture system. So it's as simple a reasoning as that is the reason I say it. But I will, I'll remember to uh, bring this up later because we'll have a place where um, we can look at why I'll just remember to bring it up. Is that all right? Cool. Oh yeah. Okay. Cool, cool. So basically if I plot, say I'm doing the DJ basin in a, in a field or I'm doing the whole basin, whatever it is. And I plot lateral length versus prop and volume. I'm going to have a maximum value out here where this is the biggest dang lateral anybody ever drilled. Typically when I've been working on this, you know, around 10,000 feet, there may be larger laterals now, and then I'll have some maximum prop and value. I don't know what number even to say off the top of my head here, but I'm going to call that point on my graph, the maximum completion efficiency and everything else that's either a smaller lateral length or a smaller propent volume or propent load is going to give me a less efficient or effective stimulation. So that you can look at two examples here. I can have a long lateral. Well, maybe I should do this one first because it's a, I could have a short lateral with a big propent volume. It's going to give me the same effective stimulation or completion as a longer lateral with a lower um, uh, prop and volume. And the reason is, my hypothesis is that we're talking about stimulated reservoir area now. And the long axis of that box is the lateral length. It's basically set by the lateral length. You could do better if you had these uh, length of the lateral that's in zone, um, but typically all you're gonna have is the lateral. And then the propent volume per foot or the propent load, I'm going to use as a proxy for the width of that area. So the more uh, volume that I'm putting into the rock, the wider that stimulated reservoir area is. So if you then just look at this as a length times width measurement, Ooh. I've got a maximum here and a fraction of that maximum right. that's reducing all the way down to zero. So it's a dimensionless completion efficiency. Right. It makes a relation. It makes a relationship basically. No matter where you go on with your A, you have a relationship with a B, because it's kind of you can make it equal on both sides. You can change the lateral length, but you increase the width of your propent. Uh, out in the stage and then vice versa. If you want to make that more narrow, you increase your lateral length. Um, I'm not sure that was uh, basically the, the, the I, I'm not trying to create a stimulation. I'm trying to evaluate a stimulation that's already been done, right? Because the well has been drilled. It has an EUR. I know what I think the reservoir is there. I just need to know how do I deal with the completion that was put on this well. So I'm not trying to create a completion. I'm just evaluating what's there. So if I have a 10,000 foot lateral and, you know, a huge prop. And, front, yeah. Yeah. Whatever it is, maybe more than that. I, I, I In the next slide, I could tell you that number. I wish I could say it off the top of my head, but uh, whatever it is. Yeah. That's my biggest frack. That's my that's my biggest um, not my just my biggest frack. That's my biggest completion of the reservoir because I've essentially stimulated the largest area possible. Anything else, lower prop and volume just reduces the width. Lower a uh, smaller lateral length simply reduces the length of right. that box. Mm -hmm. So the box already exists. I'm just trying to evaluate it. Yeah. Where, where in the box does this reservoir fall? Right. As far well, as the completion efficiency. Exactly. Cause next, now that we know, we know the reservoir, now we have a completion efficiency. Now we're set up to use them both to look at EUR. Mm -hmm. So that's the next slide that's right here. So basically this was our reservoir volume, our frackable bulk volume hydrocarbon. I put on the X axis cause I'm a geologist and the reservoir is first. So I put it on the x-axis and then I just put this completion efficiency on the y-axis. Basically, this is from zero to one because that's all you can have here. Yeah. 
Yeah. And this is, it could be zero to three, um, at the, at the, um, um, you know, say that's the, you know, three feet of fraggable reservoir volume, three or four feet. That's a huge number. So anyway, what I'm saying is that depending on your completion, the reservoir that's there is what's there. Depending on your completion, you actually stimulate some fraction of that total. And the fraction of that total is determined by the completion efficiency. So if I have, oh, I got some numbers on here. So here's, I don't know if that's blocked for you guys, but this red uh, or orange curve is like two feet of, uh, well, no, I should have, I should, uh, sorry. Let's do it this way. Again, if we have a small reservoir volume and we give it a pretty big frack, we might get the same completed bulk volume hydrocarbon as if we have a larger reservoir volume and we give it a smaller completion. So there is a reservoir in the ground and the stimulation is determining what percentage or what fraction of that existing bulk volume hydrocarbon gets completed and can be delivered to the well bore. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. I totally agree with oh, yeah. that. Okay. So, I mean, that's it then. So now we've built this system where if we do the, um, do the resource analytics reservoir evaluation and we look for the anomalies and we put together our frackable reservoir volume. We evaluate the completion using completion efficiency. We make the calculation of completed bulk volume hydrocarbon. That completed bulk volume hydrocarbon should have an excellent correlation to the decline curve EUR mm. because we've taken care of everything. So this is the summary. Basically, frackable bulk volume hydrocarbon, effective porosity times the deliverable reservoir quality times the hydrocarbon saturation times the thickness ratio down for shale content. We calculate completion efficiency based on lateral length times the propent load divided by the maximum lateral length and propent parameters. Then we calculate the completed bulk volume hydrocarbon, just simply multiplying the frackable hydrocarbon pore volume times that completion efficiency. And the completion efficiency will have some slope against EUR because these are now all known numbers. Again, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying, I'll, I'll show you how I'm going to predict later. Um, but this slope becomes the most important number we just talk about in this whole discussion. And if later you want to talk about the stimulated reservoir area and a parent-child solution, we could get to that. So we can go on to the models here or take a breath. And uh, if there are still questions, um, again, not trying to be a webinar, but. <laughs> no. There's a lot running through my mind. First thing is the, what I think is, is very important today is understanding the chemistry of the brine that's in the reservoir and what the chemistry change is with the fluid chemistry that's being introduced to this brine initially. And this goes to our discussion about clay precipitation through time. So I was wondering if you, have you ever seen a log that was ran and then the reservoir was produced for a long time and then they tried to go in and, and even through casing, case the whole log, whatever it is, try to recalculate some porosity to see if it's changing in these clays and in these shales because that, again, it goes to this clay precipitation over time that's either drastically increase, uh, decreasing the producibility or it's keeping it open. You ever seen anything like that? No, and that that's outside my uh, domain expertise, really. I mean, I'm an explorer. I'm going to make maps of the uh, play as it exists, and I'm going to try to find the best properties. So you're talking about something that's part of field development, mm -hmm. um, not really my area. So no, and I you know I wouldn't want to pretend to talk about that. But again, the same as what Skip said. If there are problems that are beyond the two pieces that we put into the um, calculation of completion efficiency, 
There is a place to evaluate that. And that mm-hmm. those things will change the slope that I was just showing you right here. Yeah. If you have a completed v- BVH versus a very low slope and the same completed BVH versus a very high slope, what happened? What happened? They have the same comp- they had the same reservoir and basically the same stimulated area. There's a, another confounding factor in there that we need to look at, but we can use this slope as a a, as a new parameter to plot against something else like fluid volume mm-hmm. or like brine type or like uh, lateral orientation. Any of those other confounding factors can all be compared with this slope. So there is a place to do that. It's just not part of what I do to um, sort of understand um where we're coming from because what i want to do is basically say i want to be able to tell my boss man if we have this reservoir as we've mapped it and we use this completion this lateral load i mean this lateral length with this propent volume we're going to get this eur plus or minus some standard error of estimate and we have r squared on that that's really good so that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. And but there are other places it, to to kind of evaluate um, how you could improve that uh, that right. correlation. And that's what so, exactly we're talking about in PBE. We're trying to push forward that you know these EURs of yesterday are not going to look anything like the EURs of the future. We got to increase our ability to you know get better well results uh, yeah. moving forward. Yeah, this all ties back into right that initial volumetric equation that you pulled up, right? Where you have, you know, this thickness, this recovery factor, this area, and like this B factor that, you know, people just, well, you know, they're, they're still using it, even though we know there's a problem with it and approaching these issues with, you know, a different scope like you're doing here and breaking it down into these like these like subcategories, I think this is, I mean, this is the future of evaluation of reservoir evaluation. I think that's, that's more or less what. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to get me to tell to say that, you know, in a field development doing deterministic petrophysics with multi-mineral models tied to core probably is a good way to do your work. Oh yeah. But why not try to break down? I mean, why not at the same time as you're doing this multi-mineral model, why not do a um, mercury capillary pressure analysis and see what is the residual hydrocarbon saturation? Take that out of your damn equation, right? It's yeah. like, what, what, what's, 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 uh, what's stopping you is my, is my question on that. And then, so, and then the completion efficiency can still work just the way we're talking about it. Well, listen, mm-hmm. I'm going to move on so that you guys don't have to be here all day. Cause you're still probably going, man, this guy's got too many words. Troy, this was the example that you contacted me about was I posted this and I basically said new volumetric concepts will get us to a, um, a, better analysis to predict of e to, to make a prediction of EUR. And so um, basically I had four panels on that one here showing a reservoir uh, correlation to uh, EUR um, separate completion parameters, correlation to EUR completion efficiency by itself correlated to EUR and then uh, completed bulk volume hydrocarbon complete, correlated to EUR. So I'm going to go through each one of those panels and just show you how I built them. This is basically one experiment that has a hundred trials that are created by a random number generating process in Excel using the resource analytics volumetric equation. So that's what I'm doing. So here's the reservoir. So basically I take the five completion parameters that um, I would be measuring. I establish ranges for those and then I just let the computer generate a distribution for those uh, reservoir parameters. Like I said, three would be a pretty big number. Um, 
and 0.5 would be a small number. And that's a pretty legitimate range to see in a basin scale map of a, a hydrocarbon uh, resource play. But if I correlate that to EUR, knowing that the area that I've stimulated can differ, um, I don't get a very good correlation here. Reservoir alone is not the answer. I'm certainly not going to try to tell you that. Um, I will show you, um, this is one experiment with 100 trials. I did 100 experiments, and I'll show you the distribution of standard error of estimate and R squared for those so that you can just get a feeling for what, what how do you improve these, these uh, uh, goodness of fit numbers. So this goes back to that one that I showed first, somebody trying to just correlate lateral length or propent load to EUR. And basically, it's not going to work, right? Yeah. I mean, that one I just don't get at all because without reservoir, you don't stand a chance. Um, but these numbers, that these plots actually didn't look that different than those ones I showed way back where um, you had those uh, – to that I said, they're going to have pretty bad R squared. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if we, you may, it might be nice if you could just say, okay, well, what if I just did completion efficiency alone and I um, use that, you know, so now I'm using both of those parameters. Would I improve my correlation? Yes. Yes, I will. But I still don't get the kind of core uh, R squared that I'm looking for. Still a pretty high standard error of estimate. So if I then, let the model build the completed bulk volume hydrocarbon. And um, so here's basically the same distribution of reservoir. Here's that same completion efficiency. And here's the multiplication to give you the completed bulk volume hydrocarbon that I then plot on this axis against EUR. Now you can see the standard error of estimate is less than 80 thousand barrels for the EUR and the R square is up to like 0.9. So, and I added in 30% random error on the effect of completion efficiency to account for the exact thing we were talking about. So this has a slope of 560,000 barrels per foot. So like that point right there. 560,000 barrels per foot. But obviously, these have a higher slope and these have a lower slope. That's where you could just look at the slope for each well. Let's assume this isn't a model, but these are actual wells. You could look at the slope to each one of those wells and say, man, what made these have a lower slope? Why did this have a full uh, 1.5 uh, completed bulk volume hydrocarbon and make only like 600,000 barrels, whereas this one made um, a million barrels. That, that's a pretty important question. But here's the numbers to do that. You got it. So like I was saying before, what I want to tell my boss is given reservoir X and completion Y, we can expect EUR equal to Z. The EUR is the money we're getting back. The completion is the money we're spending. You have everything you need to do to do your economics in terms of purchasing a property, buying leases, buying royalties, whatever it is. Um, you've got all those numbers right in front of you at this point in your analysis. And I think that is awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> I agree. I agree. Do let, you, let me, yeah, yeah go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. No, 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 no you, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to well, say. Well, what I have is yeah. just like three other models just to flip through so you can see how the, the random process shows you different pictures. That would be like looking at different basins, say. And then I'll show you the statistics on um, each one of those uh, correlations. How about that? And let's, then we can, you want to talk about that? Yeah, let's see it. Okay. So this is trial. Uh, this is experiment number two. And if I just flip through them, it's kind of cool to just watch them change because you can see how if I change the reservoir distribution, change the completion parameters, I just get different answers every time. And that's yeah. how each different basin would look. So here are the uh, final results of basically 
a hundred experiments using a hundred trials in each experiment, which if I did my math right, even though I like math, I have to use a calculator for arithmetic. That should be 10,000 realizations shown here. <laughs> and so if you're looking at R squared, you can see lateral length just didn't, just didn't get a very good, it's not going to give you a very good correlation and it's going to give you a high standard error. Yeah. Um, next position would be prop and volume gives you, you know, a little bit in increase in the R squared and standard error of estimate. And it's interesting that those two examples that we had from the anonymous um, published information had that. It's like, yeah, the, the prop and volume actually did do a better job than lateral length. Mm -hmm. um, it's, I think this is interesting because if you look at then reservoir and reservoir is orange and completion um, efficiency, they basically overlay each other. So what this is telling me is half of your deliverable hydrocarbons are coming from the reservoir and half are coming from how well do I complete that reservoir? I, I think that actually makes a lot of sense. I think that's intuitively um, uh, correct. And then you can see here, this is the completed bulk volume hydrocarbon. Well, just a, you know, I, don't, I guess it's not an order of magnitude, but essentially doubling the R squared and having the standard error. So mm -hmm. the model suggests that this works. Let me just say, without bringing any company names in, because I'm not authorized to talk about any companies, but this is new to the industry, but not new to me. And I used this to purchase properties for a company. And we did exactly what I'm describing here. And they were successful with, uh, you know, millions of dollars of purchases in unconventional play. So I can't point to an example, but well, I can, I can believe it because I, from what oh, I'm yeah. gathering is without question, your, your model is building a somewhat fundamental relationship between reservoir qual reservoir, um, characteristics like porosity and your resistivity and getting an idea of water saturation, hydrocarbon saturation, all that stuff is pretty fundamentally sound in our industry for those calculations. And I like that there's a strong fundamentals of that, that describe your reservoir. And then you even take things that are in completion parameters like profit and lateral length and other things, and you can merge those with the given data set and come up with something that makes a pretty clear prediction uh, in your EUR and what you expect to make at the end of the day, based on, you know, the business going into this, how much you're going to get getting in for, how much you're going to get out of it. I like, right. so everything you've seen is basically a, a, a model based on first principles, as you just stated, mm -hmm. it's a model. So the, the only place the model can start to diverge is on that last cross plot. Why did the uh, completed bulk volume hydrocarbon not, in one well looks so different than in another well. Well, you know what that is? That's information, right? I'm surprised that this well doesn't look like that well. That's information. So now I have an anomaly that I can investigate and we can use the same tools to continue this investigation on that basis. Basically, I've just reduced the dimensions again to something that is manageable. Yeah. And, you know, there's no, there's, you know, it's, there's no magic here. It's just using the first principles logically step by step. Yeah. So, and say my volumetrics is different than, um, than somebody else's. It doesn't necessarily matter because I'm going to make my map with my volumetrics and I'm plotting my volumetrics against known completion parameters with decline curve EUR. It's internally consistent, 100%, right? right? If you said, well, the way you calculate porosity is kind of fucked up, you know, it's like <laughs> you're not using this, you know, proper multi-mineral model. It's like, well, okay, but um, I'm able to compare well to well to well and if i see differences in slope that looks different across a map i can 
um, I can adjust see what that. that looks like. I can adjust for that. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty impressive. Um, it's really impressive. Actually, it's really yeah. impressive. Uh, do you want to say it's instead of overcomplicating the situation, you're essentially just making it more efficient. Streamlining. Right? So that, yeah, streamlining. Just, just going right back to streamlining, right? Yeah. So <laughs> what, what are we doing? We're streamlining for efficiency and productivity enhancement. Yeah. So what's, I mean, what's, well, what's really blowing my mind though, with the, uh, with your results is how I wouldn't, I don't want to say how little, but lateral length being, you know, just kind of not a non-factor, but not nearly as important as, you know, that reservoir or that completion efficiency or even prop and volume. I, I, I've, I've like seeing this visually, I'm like, that's pretty crazy. That's I think that's an interesting too. question because I never really thought about, you know, questioning them that carefully. Um, it may be, it may be just a function of the modeling, right? Because remember, mm -hmm. this is a model. So oh, if, yeah. if the range in the lot in the prop and volume is smaller than the range in the lateral, and I'm just talking off the top of my head, than the yeah. range in the lateral length, you may get less effect from the lateral length because um, I'm not putting as many points into the model randomly that are big. Does that make sense? You know, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to picture it. I, I don't want you to think that that is a, this is always what you're going to see if you look at real data because it's a model. Oh yeah. Um, and so the, the prop and volume is determining with the lateral length is, I mean, the, uh, length of the air, the prop and volume is determining width of width of the stimulated reservoir area. The lateral mm -hmm. length is establishing the length of that area. Mm -hmm. um, it, it may be something in the model, although it does fit that picture that we saw at the very beginning. So I have yeah. thought about it. I have thought about it, but um, I don't, I don't have a good answer, but it, it's a good question. It's a good question. And a great observation on how I think we can get better in this industry, because if you're drilling a 10,000 foot lateral, you're spending another $10 million than if you drilled a 2,500 foot lateral or something that was simply more efficient. And we don't, yeah. Well, I, I mean, you want to, I think you want to probably want as big an area as you can get right? Mm -hmm. Because that's going to give you a bigger, I mean, basically that's saying. I'm going to have to disagree. Don't, I, don't I, don't I want my completion efficiency to be as high as possible? Well, that, I mean, that's true. It's like, it, it is an economic decision, right? So right. if you can say that, you know what, the value I get out of creating this completion when I'm in this reservoir ain't worth it. Right. So I can back off my completion, which, I mean, that's how we bought properties for this company. It's like, okay, here's the map of the reservoir. And I go to the engineer and say, what completion are you going to do? Then I can tell you what EURs you're going to get when you're using that completion. So what if you change that completion? I mean, you know, they were real engineers, so they're worried about whether it's a sand or it's a ceramic. And, you know, so I don't have those parameters in there either. So they were worried about that at the time. And uh, so they're, but they change your cost. And so they, um, they change the economics of the picture that you're looking at. Right. So, yeah, no, I, I agree. I, th I think, all the pieces are here for you to do that kind of evaluation. I, I don't mean to disagree with you that maybe this is better because how do I know? It really is a cost benefit yeah. analysis. And, but the numbers are here to do that analysis. Right. And a great segue into the completion part of the show. But if you hire somebody else, cause you like what they're doing and you think it's cool and something goes wrong, man, your, your butt is on the line, right? Yeah. So I think the same thing is a bit true here in the oil and gas industry that it's sad because the idea for new, well, maybe this can be recorded. The yeah, idea, the idea <laughs> for the idea for new technology is sort of based on the crossing the chasm concept by Jeffrey Moore. I don't know if you ever read that book, but I read that book. Mm -hmm. 
And so basically, there should be these early adopters out there um, that are willing to take on a disruptive technology rather than the sustaining technology. Those are words from uh, Clayton Christensen, um, because sustaining technologies, leading that edge technologies just keep building on what's there before and so it's always more complicated it's always more specific it only applies to this situation whereas a disrupting technology tends to be more broad broadly um, applicable it works faster it works cheaper and it uh does more work it's more productive and so there should be a lot of companies out there who are willing to be the early adopters for a disruptive technology but yeah. i'm finding that not to be the case in wow. oil and gas we're going through I was a major say, change yeah i was gonna say and it's, it's funny that you bring up the uh what is it the curve of innovation because our very first guest dave cannon that was his presentation talking about you know it was more related to the unconventional industry and how what companies were the early adopters versus the laggards like who's buying property late and who's actually who actually got in in time to make make money uh but it's it's also on the second point i think it's also a function of preservation a lot of people it's it's like the same concept of they're not focused they're not promotion focused, they're preservation focused. They just want to keep their job. They're not trying to push the company to the next level. Right. And yeah, I, I started doing this as a business say in, uh, Oh, I took early retirement in 2014. Did this. I mean, I did this on Excel for years (laughs) and, um, I just decided I would do it as a business. So I took my early retirement and I, basically took my severance and I paid to have the code built to do exactly what was being done in Excel Mm -hmm. and thinking that, so then it was a little lag time before I got back into it, but you know, so 2016, you know, maybe not so great. And since then, you know, hasn't really gotten any better. So the timing has been kind of bad, Um, but there's a real question. I mean, this is your, a good segue into your like what's the future look like well not to be a you know the harbinger of trouble for certain companies but certain companies maybe aren't in a very good position Mm -hmm. um and they have too much debt you know and so there should be a lot of m&a that's happening where people are looking because i put a post out on linkedin once and said if you improve your reservoir versus your completion you're going to be able to get um you know 50 percent better eurs and people are like yeah but we can't buy any other acreage well, I don't think that's going to necessarily be the same now. So the idea of reevaluating your position, all of your competitors' positions, um, people who are royalty interest owners, is this guy doing what he, he should be doing with completions? Or if somebody's doing a different completion, would that be better for us? Um, so can we look at that? All the financial um, analysts, you know, like, well, which company is, you know, worth trying to save or whatever they do. However, they're recommending people, you know, investing in companies, they need to be able to evaluate independently. What does uh, company A's property look like compared to company B in this um, level of every play, you know? So, and, um, and I think, and I think it's very interesting point that you did bring up is as far as the reevaluation is concerned, because back in 2000, you know, end of 2017, 2018, especially people were buying up acreage and they were buying it up at such a rate that the only way they could hold those leases was to drill as many wells as possible. So, and in doing so, granted, they ruined a lot of good acreage in some cases, but being able to look back and say, Hey, let's, let's see how we actually completed and actually how we drilled these wells. I think we might actually have, you know, a little gold here. We just kind of messed up on it when we were blown and going. Oh, exactly. If, I mean, how much value is there to say, you know what, there was good reservoir here. We messed up that completion. Oh man! You know, here's oh, a yeah. new a restem or a redrill or whatever. I mean, those are really important ideas. So, um, the problem yeah, is there's no money. The problem is we lost 
our confidence with the folks that have the money. And now they're not coming. And they're not going to come until they see $100 oil because we can go and evaluate all these EURs. We can evaluate all these fields. And unless something drastically gets better, the, the money's just not right until we have the right price. And so one of the guests we had was uh, was Art Berman, and he talked about how he learned a long time ago that the money is made when the curve goes back up. And you better be put yourself in a spot when you, when that curve comes back because that's when you make it. And, man, I, I think companies, if we just say simply there's 100 EMP companies in the country, I think there's going to be probably about 10 that uh, survive this. So I think 10% of the companies are going to make it through this. And then we're going to start seeing that change and this amazing response technically from our industry that opens up all new reservoir types, all new sweet spots, the whole game's changing. And uh, we just got to live through it. Right. But I mean, how do you prepare for that turn up? I mean, if you wait until it's turned, you're probably too late. Then you're too late. Yeah. So the time to prepare for that is right this moment, right? right? When Mm -hmm. things look the darkest, if you can, you know, get a picture of the whole play, you know, the basin wide extent of this play, A, B, or C, whatever it is, everywhere, um, you put yourself in a position to immediately take advantage. And that's actually when, we, we purchased one property, um, again, just going to keep it anonymous because I don't have authority to talk about anything that happened in the past, but um, we had the maps, they were made. And then this property became available. And we're like, man, we've been telling you all along, if this property becomes available, get it. And they got it. They were a gas company. It was the first oil property they ever bought. Gas prices went in the tank. And the only reason they hung around was because they had this oil property. And so, I mean, it's a good success story. I mean, this is what uh, my goal. Can I talk about that next? Yeah. Heck yeah. Oh yeah. So, I mean, it's one thing to show models and I know that that, you know, is like, okay, that's a certain kind of presentation. That's a certain kind of understanding the real, you know, rubber meets the road when you put it all together. So that's the goal that I have coming up is basically looking for allies that will work with me to turn these modeled ideas into concrete case studies. And so the people I'm thinking of are the decline curve analysis people, the guy who made those first plots where he's doing his EURs and he's scraping data, he's got the completion parameters, he's doing big data decline curves, but he doesn't have reservoir and he's not doing reservoir because he can't do it in that same big data mode. I can, I could work with a guy like that. We could build the completion efficiency model, look at the um, completed bulk volume hydrocarbon versus EUR and show that that process really works. So, uh, you know, that I, I am in the process of buying data, you know, having realized that the, I, you know, just putting ideas out there on LinkedIn, is not getting me there because the models aren't selling the idea. So it, mm-hmm. it's got to be a real case study. And I get it. that That's okay. I wish I'd have said that to myself a year and a half ago, but I didn't. So here I am today, but I'm like, yeah, I'm committing to that investment and we'll see what happens in the next year doing that. I hope I can enlist some companies. I have some people in mind. Um, there's another place too. It's like people that just sell digital log data. When you buy the digits from, I will let them remain anonymous because they're so expensive. But what value is there in the numbers? None. You have to have an expert in-house who can turn those numbers into useful information. Well, I'd be willing to talk to somebody who just sells digital data and say, let me build interpretations on your digital data. And you just include that in your package. Don't raise your damn price, but include that. How Mm -hmm. much more volume of digital data are you going to sell when it's useful to every geologist instead of just to the 
one petrophysicist in each company. Mm. I, there are there are many ways to make this move. <laughs> I just That's haven't cool. been able to f- figure them out. So well, we'll be staying in touch, and anything you put out, we'll certainly be fans of, and and staying <laughs> close to what you got going on. I think you're right. I think there's the the amount of data out there that can be put together in the right ways to bring value to everybody that's still surviving or the folks that are saying you know what I'm going against this crowd that's evacuating out of the oil and gas industry because it's coming back I have the luxury or the situations to to do that and I'm looking for the people who are you know thinking like you are and and I think that's huge I think it's you definitely have uh, uh, something to contribute I think a company that's doing the digital log stuff they need that they can't just take logs and correlate it to EUR and just like high level big data relationships to that stuff you can tighten that all up with your process uh, and then you could take it across their whole internal database and now sell it as a bulk product I mean that's that's major I think for for companies that are yeah I mean even even the you know if you're going to do a basin scale analysis and you're trying to do it with deterministic petrophysics tied to core you're, what you're doing is building a very precise model at a limited number of sampled locations so as you move away from those locations your precise model may no longer be accurate so this is the old diagram of the arrows you know being shot into a target it's like if they're all in the same place that's precision but if they're not in the center of the target that's not accurate and so uh, maybe my method um, is not as precise as theirs because I didn't do a multi-min thing. But my sample error is way reduced compared to theirs. And, the and, you, total- well, and you, can, you can also argue as well in your case that, you know, due to the heterogeneity, maybe a more precise model at the wellbore is not necessarily the answer, right? Because what, like I've seen wells where, you have different data in the core and the sidewall plugs. It's not the, these reservoirs change a lot. So if you get two gnats on it, then all of a sudden, like you said, the second you start to step out, it's that accuracy is gone. Exactly. Your precision remains. And so your confidence yeah. in what you're doing remains, but total error in any project is uh, uh, analytical error plus sample error. And so Everything deterministic petrophysics is designed to do is reduce analytical error for precision. And Mm. that's not, in my opinion, the best approach for a basin scale project. So Mm. I put that out there. We can we can say that publicly. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. I think that's uh, a hell of a way to end this show, sir. All right. All right. Well, I'm, thank you for sticking with me. I know you probably didn't want to go that long, but no, uh, that's, it was good. Oh, it was great. Yeah. I mean, you, you got us quiet. We were, I was learning a lot. So right. that, that was, yeah, that was really a pleasure. It was really enjoyable the way you broke it down. Well, I think uh, this was awesome. I can't wait to, to edit it all down and get it out and uh, look mm-hmm. forward to, to working with you again. And maybe we can do a show in the future. Okay. You bet. I mean, I've showed you maybe 20 slides. I probably have 60, 120. I don't know. I, you know, I just love explaining it. So um, I appreciate you allowing me to go on and on and on. Um, Thank you very much. Right on. All right, guys. Yeah. And we out. All right.